You're listening to Market Like a Fintech, a podcast on a mission to find out what marketing strategies and tactics top fintech companies use to acquire real customers, build a brand and grow revenue. I'm Araminta, your host for today, a marketing consultant, admin studios and partner at the Fintech Marketing Hub. In today's episode, I talk to Jasper Martens, Chief Marketing Officer at Pensionbee. Jasper has a background in digital marketing and used to have his own marketing agency back in Amsterdam. He loves making boring products interesting and has won several awards for his campaigns and likes to call himself a tech-savvy marketeer. Personally, I am a big fan of Pension B, so I was very excited to have him on. What is Pension B? It's a pensions provider that combines old and new pension plans into one provider. It takes 10-5 minutes to start up and users can combine, contribute and withdraw all online. And they have some pretty astounding numbers. They've got over 470,000 customers, a 97% retention rate and are managing close to 1 billion pounds in pension money. They were recently valued at 365 million pounds in their recent IPO in April. In today's episode, Jasper and I talk about Pension B's approach to brand-led advertising, their focus on loving the customer, and their own Instagram marketing strategy. Let's hear from Jasper. Jasper, you've been working in SEO and digital marketing since 2005. In those 15 years, Digital marketing and search engine marketing has changed a lot. Do you think it still plays a big role in digital marketing in 2021? I think it does. And we can still see it at Pension B, uh, where we have a natural search as one of our marketing channels. I think a lot of people, especially when it comes to their finances, they want to do a bit of research. So once people are actually get aware of that, they can actually, in our case, consolidate their old pension pots then people will start searching for it. So I would say SEO, when I started working in digital marketing, was often seen as a higher up the funnel activity. Actually, for us now, it's much more a mid-funnel or even lower funnel activity where people generally uh, will now search for this particular content just to check us out before they sign up. Yeah, that's really interesting, actually, because what you're saying is that in the finance world, people are... Because as you know, the reason why fintech exists partly is because there's so much jargon and, and incumbent uh, concepts that you know we don't understand, and so often we have to go to Google and try and figure out what's going on. And so actually, that's a good point. Maybe why SEO is a very important part of mm. a fintech's acquisition strategy is because a lot of people are are still researching. Do you think maybe 10, 15 years? Hopefully we've done a better job at financially educating people and and, and that won't be as relevant or no. So the interesting thing is, um, so I think there's two reasons why I think search marketing plays vital role. So first of all, you've got a trust issue when it comes to financial services. There's generally distrust. And also, to be honest, would you trust your life savings with a startup? Uh, I wouldn't. So why would you? So I guess kind of do a bit more research uh, on the topic, but also check out a company online. I think that's what search marketing is all about. Uh, and hopefully you can build that trust. It's not just about searching for combined pensions, but also searching for Pension B as a brand and see reviews on other sites, not just on ours. So I think that's the trust issue. Then you've got financial education. What we're seeing is when people actually have taken the, um, 
to control over their retirement and combine those pension pots together, they get hungry for more. So what will happen is people will start searching for more things. How much do I need to contribute for retirement? Can I contribute from a limited company? So search might evolve from should I combine to more kind of like more detailed topics. So with regards to Pension B and search marketing, if you would go to our website today and you would visit our blog or our Pensions Explained Center, you will find a whole wealth of content. And that will have started from initially, should I combine? Actually, now more and more, we're going into the nitty gritty of things and harness the, the appetite for search. So I wouldn't necessarily say it would disappear. When If people get more educated, they will search for other things. Like, I don't think, I think you will still use Google as much as you did a year ago. You just use it for different reasons. Yeah, that's really interesting. And that contradicts this common notion that people aren't interested in money, which I've never believed personally. But this is something that you might hear from financial experts or personal finance gurus are like, people don't want to learn how to manage their money. They just want to buy their buy their stuff every day. Sure, they do. But when it comes to pensions... I think uh, for many people, it's a too hard product. So they generally will put it in the too hard uh, category. Um, and that's also because the industry has made it very complicated. And sometimes pension providers and also some financial advisors want it to be complicated because they will can earn money on the back of it. So keep the audience dumb and uh, we can earn money off it. Not every financial advisor or pension provider is like that, don't worry. But that's often, that could be one of the reasons. I think the other one is it's quite a big financial decision to make. Pensions, it's a lot of money. It's not just a, an easy access savings account. And because the industry has made it complicated with a lot of jargon, it's something you want to put, you probably want to put off. Um, there's also a lack of urgency. Like yeah. contrary to insurance, insurance expires. So you need to renew it. So you have to pay attention to it, even if you don't like it. When it comes to a pension pot, whether you take control over it this weekend, Araminta, maybe on su- this Sunday, maybe, or next Sunday, of course, it will have an impact on the amount of pension you will get at retirement, but it's not as urgent. So you can say to yourself, oh, I'm going to do it on Sunday when it's raining, but you will be not watching Netflix instead. And that is the sense, the inertia we've, we are in. So I guess those are the two reasons, uh, I think, so two factors to bear in mind. This is really interesting. And now I want to ask you, I was going to ask this later on, but I'm going to just do it now, which is something that isn't urgent, like pensions, retirement. How do you make it more urgent, if you know what I mean? Well, there's a couple of ways to do so. I would say in the past, which is actually not helpful at all, pension providers will have put some sort of like doom scenario Mm -hmm. on you. As in, if you not sort this out now, you will be poor when you retire or you cannot retire at all. Of course, that is definitely the case. But would you want to use fear or do you want to empower people? And I think we've chose the latter. We knew from our customers that they always felt a really sense of relief when they have finally taken control over their pensions. That sense of relief that has made people pension confident. And that has been at the heart of our advertising and the way we reach out to customers. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's something to take control of. It makes you, you know, you're finally on top of it. You know how much you have saved. Often you will realize, oh gosh, I haven't saved enough. 
but then we can tell you how much you ought to be saving in order to get back on track. And people say it's a lost cause. Actually, if we are getting to you uh, on time, there it's never well, it's never too late. But certainly, it's most in most cases not too late to fix it. And I think that sense of relief, that positivity, that for me is um, has always been at the heart of building a brand like Pension B, and that has led us to grow. I would like I think that's one of the key reasons why we've grown so much. Definitely. And we're going to touch back on this in a bit. But uh, before I wanted to go back to Pension B uh, as a company, when you first started out and you were were their first hire, one of the first things you say in in your podcast and in in, in some of the articles that I've read, it's important to start small and scale because then you can learn, you can implement what you're learning and you can apply them really rapidly. So how have you at Pension B tightened that feedback loop or how can others maybe tighten that feedback loop? Well, first of all, I came from a different industry. I came from insurance. So I wasn't familiar with marketing a wealth product like pensions for Pension B. So that's why applying start small and then scale up quickly when you zero. So it makes sense. I've got, I had a pot of money um, came coming out of seed funding when we started. And I literally had to, I tested channels as small as I possibly could especially digital channels work really well, especially in the early days when you will be able to get some traction quite quickly. And, you know, that could be £100 a day on a particular campaign. But when you start to see people actually signing up for those campaigns and you've got your data attribution model in place so you can see what the costs are, but also the quality of the customer, then you can make those decisions and start scaling up. So I think that's something that everybody should be doing. And that strategy works to a certain level. Lots of brands, which which I see, then will get stuck in the digital marketing channel mix and they just simply will start pumping more money into it. I sometimes refer to it as a drug addiction. You just inject more cash from your from, from your investment round and then, you know, we get a return on investment, right? Well, there is a tilting point where I would argue that you ought to be looking at non-digital channels, more brand-led channels, which we've done as well. And then again, you can apply the same principle. Like when we started TV in January 2019, we started with £30,000 a month. That is not a lot of money. But because we were able to measure the first five minutes after we've aired a TV ad, we could see which TV channel works well, what creative works well, what time of the day works well. So you could apply the same principle there. Of course, it's not as clean cut as a digital channel, but it's clean cut enough to start small and scale up quickly. And on TV, that's been going from strength to strength. TV customers in our case are a little bit older. So especially when you are advertising on daytime TV, or I mean, so you, you know, you're advertising between stair lifts and life insurance sometimes. Um, but um, joking aside, our average age of our customer group for TV is in their 50s. And that is being uh, instrumental for a pension product that aims to make retirement easier especially for people who are very close to it. So adding those channels and treating them like such as being quite, um, you know, I would, I would advise any company in a similar market or position like we are that start with digital, start small, scale up quickly when you see results, but have the balls then to go mm. above the line and apply the same principle for those channels. Even that their behavior of those channels are different, apply the same principles. And you, what you will find is you get direct acquisition from those channels straight away, which is great news. 
but you also will see a dampening effect on your acquisition cost across all of your channels, not just your digital channels. And we have seen that line is just coming down. The more money we pump into brand channels, the more that line, the acquisition cost per customer comes down. It's really interesting. And you've answered like two of my questions in that. Oh just <laughs> you already knew what I was going to ask. Um, a big part of what you're also, you're saying right now also is, is from your own customer research. And I read somewhere that you speak to 10 five to 10 customers per week, which is like quite an achievement because obviously there's a lot of logistics behind that. So I love to hear how you organize that. How do you try and speak to so many customers every week? I stopped personally speaking to as many of those customers every week. I have to be honest about that. Uh, however, we have made sure that very clear in our marketing and product team, we've got a customer uh, insight manager. We've got a chief engagement officer. It's the voice of the customer team. They're very close to us. And, in our, and we've got quite a chunky customer experience team. Uh, a UX UI uh, specialist. I think on the inside and the voice of the customer, that's where we do the interviews. And uh, when the interviews are being done, they will be shared on Slack straight away for, all, for everybody in the organization. Every week we've got a show and tell uh, on Thursday between five and six. And we often talk about, we often talk about the stories of those customers. So that's the kind of like the more personal one-on-ones. Um, to give you an example, at the moment, we're doing some more in-depth research for people in their 40s. We've actually uh, spoken to uh, another 10 customers about their experiences, but also people who left Pension Beach is really to understand why did you leave us? Because you can think you're great, but you know, some, not everybody thinks you're great. So it's good to understand why that is. <laughs> and that's the kind of like more deep dive qualitative approach. So we've got that voice of the customer team very close to our marketing and product teams. It's and you know they work alongside of us. They've got they've got their own agenda, but they also work in cross uh, cross functional teams. So that's the deep dive. Aside from that, five to ten customers a day, you do the usual um, where you ask people to review you um, after a certain day. So that's what we're doing anyway. We get a good uptake on that. Our beekeepers, who are your personal dedicated customer success managers, they speak with customers where either through phone or live chat or email, they will tag discussions on a particular keyword or topic. And that's collated every week. And then on Monday, we get a temperature check, which is basically a check-in in terms of how we're doing. And then monthly, we've got a more of a pulse. So we see what's, what's happening, actually, what are the conversations our customers have with us, not just with the customer insight manager and the voice of the customer team, but actually across the whole business. That drives mostly the product roadmap. So we've got a team called Team Business. I often refer to it as keep team keep the lights on. So making sure that everything works well and doesn't break and the team can do their best and their customers don't get locked out. And we've got one of our customer experiences teams, project teams, where product marketeers, marketeers, UX, UI, but also developers and operations come together to solve particular projects. Their core goal is to make the product so good that it reduces queries to pension B. And that can be as simple as, why can't I just add another beneficiary to my pension pot? And those kinds of questions. That will come through customer service. They are being tagged. That information becomes available to that team in those temperature checks and pulse reports. They will then prioritize that product roadmap. 
and then they will add that functionality to the to the customer to, to, to the customer account. I think that's the kind of like one of the one of the cycles we've got at Pension B to listen to customers. Yeah, I, I like how you've integrated the entire customer feedback. This is what I was saying about feedback feedback loops, right? They're incredibly integrated into your product roadmap and also your marketing. Like it's, it's, it's a very core part of what you're doing. So this, this is what's really interesting. Yeah. We also use our own customers in our advertising, by the way. So when, saw, you, see yeah, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. when you see a TV <laughs> ad or a billboard, those are not models. Well, there are models for us, of course, but there are real customers. And I think it's really important, uh, again, like, and they will tell you because they've been, you know, they've been, they've been used in advertising. They will be bluntly honest in uh, what works really well for them and what doesn't work for them. And it's quite unusual for custom, for people to advertise a financial brand, speak on behalf of financial brands. It's not something, there's generally a little bit of, uh, I would say, people don't necessarily talk about giving financial advice to friends on birthday parties, et cetera, because, you know, if it wasn't the right advice and your friend lost money, you get a bit of like, ooh. So uh, having customers uh, saying yes to that and in our advertising is, is being, you know, is really cool. It is. And actually, I mean, marketing channels often are your customers, right? I mean, they are. They are. So how, like, if you're just a small startup just starting up, it's a bit of a chicken and egg situation where you want to use your customers to market, but then you also need customers that are willing to do that. So where, where did you get started with this? I think the first customers you acquire are usually very dedicated to your product sure. and brand, I have to say. So in 2017, when we did our first uh, brand campaign to test the waters, it was an outdoor campaign in, uh, in Brighton and Hove and the areas just to test the waters. We've had quite a few customers who were willing to do that back in the day. And at the time I was actually speaking to those customers. So you will have them quite quickly. And so I wouldn't be worried about it too much. What I would say is they're instrumental in building trust for financial products. So I can have hundreds of five-star reviews of Trustpilot proudly displayed on my website. I can have an award win Let's face it, awards, how honest How honest are those uh, with some of award schemes where I sometimes really think like, you know, the number of people submitted their entries are, the quality wasn't great. So, hey, I've won an award. Great. People are not stupid. People will know uh, that award wins are kind of like, you know, these things. I think a witch badge, great. If Martin Lewis would recommend us, fantastic. But I think um, I think it's really in order to build trust. You want others to tell how great Pension B or how great your product is. Customers is the easiest way to get started. And once you start to build your company, what you will find is that financial journalists, money bloggers, they are the second gear, I would say, that uh, probably will be quite interested in uh, your product and you can start engaging with them and work with them. Uh, but your customers are usually the first ones. I don't think that's actually hard at all. Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. It's just, I, I mean, I haven't seen it with that many B2C fintechs. That's why I'm like curious to hear more. But you know, it's really interesting. Um, people say, well, it's really hard. And I said, have you actually called your customer? 
to ask them if they do want to participate. And then you get a radio silence. I think there's sometimes a little bit of a shame. And shall we ask our customers? We only got like 100 customers. Yeah. Why don't you yeah. call five customers and say like, hey, did you know, you know, don't get shocked, but you're one of the first 100 customers. I know it's all early days. What do you think? And just, you know, I've traveled to customers on the train for a cup of coffee back in the day. Oh, nice. And I remember, and I remember one of the first customers who was over 50 signing up. Wow. And I was like, and this particular customer had quite a substantial pension pot because he's been saving for so long. I just wanted to know why he actually signed up to us in the first place because quite a lot of money and not that I was kind of not trusting our product, but it was early days. So I went to him, it was in Western Supermare. And uh, I met him and he talked through his experience and I just heard how disappointed he was with his previous pension providers and how we actually helped him to take control, that sense of relief again. And I said, do you want to tell your story for our first TV ad? I would love you to do that. And he said, yes, I'm so happy. And that's what he did. And we filmed him on the Western Supermare beach with his dog and the ad came out and I was just staring and it's like, what, you know, I think customers also generally, if they like your product, they also want you to do well. And therefore, they're very willing to do that. So don't underestimate that feeling of people when you treat them well and when you give them a product they really like, they actually want to do really well for you because they know you're small and you're early and they're actually, you know, they feel useful. So it's not that hard if you think about it, but do it well and, you know, treat them like a good friend. Treat them well. This episode is sponsored by Growth Gorilla, a growth marketing agency focused exclusively on working with fintech startups and scale-ups. Taking a holistic approach to driving growth, they have worked with over 25 brands. From crowdfunding to automated business finance, you'll be in a safe pair of gorilla-sized hands. Check them out at growthgorilla.co.uk. Ready to catalyze your fintech's growth? There's so, there's so many good things in there and in what you said. And this is what people, people say is quite different between B2C and B2B. In B2C, for example, people will tattoo. Have you had tattoos yet? Tattoos of Pension B. But you've heard of it, right? These brand evangelists that will tattoo their favorite brand on their mm. bodies. That does not happen in B2B, right? But no. B2C, it's just like another level. It's like people will live and breathe your brand. I think the first day that I see somebody with a with a pension B B tattooed on their on their arm, I, I would be quite shocked to be honest. It's you know, as much as I I, I live and breathe pension B as a brand mark as a marketeer myself, that's uh, that's 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 quite drastic. <laughs> I I look, I think I would not be shocked. Like um, I so I I know a couple of brand evangelists and it's it's another level. Like it's it's absolutely crazy the levels they go when they're obsessed with their brands. And I know someone on Twitter who is obsessed with Starlink, like another level. And, oh, and, I know and he's who, great. I, I, you know I, him, I know, right? I, I, know, I know who he is. Yes, yes. So yes. that, this is what I'm talking about, right? But for Pension B, I think that's not so drastic. I think it's going to happen. Just give it a couple of years. Okay. And actually, <laughs> and actually this follows on from, from my next point, which is that at Pension B, you're really obsessed with love, right? And, and relief, right? These are kind of the two things that you've been talking about quite a lot. And I, and I really love that because when you're talking about pensions, you're essentially, you're with someone for life, right? You're taking care of them in old age. And that's just like, 
you're kind of like their companion, their, their even more than that, maybe even their parents, you're taking care of them. And, and retirement is such, um, is such an important part of life in a way, because if you do not have enough, then obviously you're struggling. And so this is why you guys have such a huge retention rate, right? 97% I read somewhere. Amazing. And you have a very long customer life value because essentially when with, with pension providers, you you want to stick with someone for their entire life, right? So that is quite a different, that even longer than, you know, for Starling or Monzo or probably any other B2C fintech apart from maybe inheritance. I don't know. But obviously your mentality and approach is different there because you're, you want to be with them for life. So yeah, I don't know. Do you agree with that? And what, yeah, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I think the nature of the product definitely lends itself for a long retention rate. Pensions is considered to be quite a sticky product. You're not, you're not going to move your pension every year. And also our proposition is also about move your job, move your pension with you. So pension B is your main pot. And you just basically, every time you move jobs, you kind of like pour that money from your previous job into that pot and you can let it grow. So I think naturally um, the product is sticky and also our proposition has also emphasizes on keeping that all in one place as you go for your working life and into retirement. I think the other thing is, I guess it's also the kind of way we approach the product. So we take great care in terms of the kind of product we offer. So we don't offer crypto pensions. We don't <laughs> offer 500 different funds to pick from. We are not targeting a really active investor who wants to go through the stock market listings and just, play, well, play, I wouldn't say place their bets, but you know, buy their, buy their shares. And I would say gamble with their pension a little bit. If you look at the market overall, a lot of companies are targeting the wealthy um, person who is really interested in investing. That might be maybe 5 10% of the market. And there are quite a few operators already in the market who are really, really good at that. So for example, if I was very interested in investing and uh, I wanted to make my own decisions, I think AG Bell and Hargis Lansdowne and some other providers and Fidelity, they're doing a really good job. They're fund supermarkets or SIP. Then you've got another group of people who are uh, are wealthy but can't be bothered with investing at all, and they might go to a financial advisor. Uh, and financial advisors probably are interested in your money if you have a hundred thousand pounds or more. Now, that leaves us with this huge group of people who actually can't be bothered with the actual investment, as in like placing their bets. Uh, what they do want is to grow their pot. They want to get a decent return. They want to get a high quality product. They want almost like a money manager who kind of like makes that decisions for them, as in like making sure that it's not being invested in really high risky or that kind of stuff. It's about a long-term return. Pension products generally generate 5 to 7% return annually. So that helps you to build. So customers like us are more interested in um, how, to, how much I need to put in, not necessarily where to put it into, in, that, in the sense of placing their bets. And that's really helped that kind of customer also doesn't tend to move as much, doesn't want to get money out of the stock market and put it back into the stock market, the, the, the heavy trading thing. I think there's one thing our customers are interested in, and that actually makes them even stickier to stick with us. And that is two things. One of them, we are becoming their main provider of choice. So the main pot. 
and being the pension specialist. We don't just, it's not just like I got an ISA somewhere and they do pensions on the side. No, we are the pension specialist. That's one. And then the second part is if they are interested in where the money is invested in, it's not about placing bets on the stock market. It's about, is my investment fossil fuel free? Is my investment Sharia compliant? That kind of like other there are other reasons, other uh, mo- motives for picking a particular investment. All of that together will make that customers don't leave and they stick. The only reason they would then leave is their performance is really less than five percent. Like over the long term, actually, we're making a loss. Our fees are like super high, which isn't the case at all. But that, you know, once they're in, it takes quite some bad practice to actually let them transfer out, to be honest. Yeah, and actually this follows on from what we were talking about yes, uh, yesterday. Previously, in terms of empowering the customer, how much should they be learning about? Because really, this is what's tricky about finances is that yes, they need to be, people need to be educated and they need to be. They, they go on Google and they try and learn. And as you said, which is quite interesting, once they learn a little bit, then they get a bit more curious and they want to learn more. Some people might argue that, you know, pensions is a bit like the underlying infrastructure, a bit like open banking or APIs. The customer doesn't really need to understand that. So how do you figure out, I mean, you kind of already said it's it depends on the customer and what they're interested in, but where, how do you draw the line, I guess, between, you know, telling them all the details about pensions and how they work and maybe just saying, look, we're here, we're just taking care of it? Yeah, but there's a difference between we're here, we're taking care of it and we're, we're not going to tell you how it's performing. We're not going to sure. tell you where we invest your money in. Uh, we might do some really dirty stuff with oil companies yeah. or, you know, that you know, there's a difference between offering simplicity and uh, encourage engagement in the terms of uh, building a good pension pot versus these are the six and a half thousand companies that are in your index. And this is each individual performance of those companies in the last 10 years. And this is the you know projections, et cetera, we can give for all of these six and a half thousand. Now, I think then you kind of overload. You're actually proving, missing the point of what a pension mm-hmm. is all about. A pension is designed to build a happy retirement. Uh, and uh, knowing how much you need to put aside, know how you can grow your money, how know how you can benefit for, from tax relief. A lot of people just simply still don't know that if you put a hundred pounds in your pension, you get 25 pounds from the government straight being put into your pension. We do that automatically for you. There's no ISA or savings account who can beat that. And I'm ready. I'm 42. In 13 years time, I can access my pension pot. So it becomes a long-term ISA. That's how you, and that's, I think that's the direction of travel when it comes to educating people about the, the huge potential a pension pot in the UK actually have, has. And um, it's less about these are your six and a half thousand holdings. And I think that's, that's the direction of travel for most people in the UK. However, for people who do uh, want to take more control over individual investments, they might outgrow pension B at some day. You know what? Mm. That's absolutely fine. Um, the, the, re, the problem you've got with some brands, I'm not going to mention any names, but there are some really big ones that's staring me in the face and they will come up with the simplicity message. But then, then I go to their website and I want to join. I'm get absolutely hammered with 
a million gazillion uh, investment decisions and choices, or I get like an investment magazine put through the letterbox. And I'm thinking that's not really simplistic, is it? So stick to your audience, understand what they want, build a product proposition. The market is so big, get a slice of the, uh, get a slice of the action and you will be huge. You don't need the whole pie. I think it's actually a bit selfish. So um, just, just be really careful in terms of who you're doing it for, understand their needs. And then you will have that fine balance between what you want to tell them and uh, so how much you want to tell them and also what you want to tell them. This is incredibly relevant because I don't know if you've been seeing this, but a lot of B2C fintech apps have kept adding more features, literally doing the opposite of what you're saying, right? Cryptocurrency exchange. And you said it yourself, starting as a marketplace, right? So once again, yeah, what, at what point do you stop, I guess? Because I'm seeing this already in, in real time. Some fintech companies are are adding more and more features, which is cool, but essentially eventually becoming a super app. I don't know. Uh, but then there it opens up a market to new fintech B2C apps that are more simplified. And so it's just like a never-ending uh role. Do you think that's gonna happen to pension B? Probably not. But yeah, how how yeah, what is your approach to that? So I think some some financial apps actually should really diversify in the way they do. So it depends what the purpose is of that financial app. So to give you an example, somebody like Revolut or somebody like Starling or somebody like Monzo, that's where your bank account is. That's where your that's your principal bank account. It would be it's fantastic to see all your other financial products you've got from other providers in one place. And that is probably your main, that's your center of gravity when it comes to your financials. Pension B will never be the center of gravity if we are part of that ecosystem. So we are very happy to integrate with those marketplaces because that's where people manage all of their finances. It's the umbrella. So whether that is Starling with their like with their marketplace and having it all in one place, or whether that is, for example, a Yolt or an Emma or some one of those apps where you do that, where you where you do that. So I think they should do that. And uh, but you can see that Starling develops their core proposition and then just rely on others to add other things around it. So becoming this holistic umbrella style proposition. And then other companies like Pension B, I would say. We are adding new products and features, but it's all about pensions. It, we are the pension specialist. And especially when it comes to something like a pension, which is very valuable, it's not just another easy access account or it's not just another top-up card or prepay card. No, no, this is, you know, on average, you should have saved up up to 500,000 pounds, I think, uh, before you retire. That's a lot of money, right? That's often more than your mortgage. Um, so I think people want to go for the best. Uh, and therefore, I'm not too worried about that. But if we are adding more product features, it's around pensions. So to give you an example, the fossil fuel free pension was an, uh, was an example. We started a self-employed pension product in January. So if you're self-employed, you can also start a new pension from scratch. And we are flirting with some other ideas, for example, turning your pension into an instant access account from the age of 55. And uh, so it turns, you know, effectively becomes a bank account, uh, you know, those kinds of ideas. Uh, but it's all about pensions. That's a very good argument. Yeah, I think that completely makes sense. Uh, it's a very interesting topic, but I, I'm going to switch gears a bit and go back to pension B marketing because uh, you touched on 
I mean, there's two things that I want to talk about. First one is your really cool strategy of measuring TV ads, which I, I'd love for you to briefly summarize how, you, how you're doing that. The six minutes where you're like waiting six minutes and then calculating how many people are signing up. I really like that. I'd, I'd love to hear like just a brief summary of how you've done that. So on that particular TV example, right? So, so you could, and we do it in two ways. So we work with an agency who has that technology. Like, again, it's not, it's not rocket science. It's out there. I think a lot of people just don't simply don't use it. But what you do is that um, when, when you have a TV ad, uh, let's say at three o'clock on channel four, anybody who visits your website or download the app between three o'clock and five minutes past three, that is coming in that in that five minute time window. You can see them whether these are people signing up or whether it's just a cookie or a visit uh, that you can track. You deduct every marketing campaign that has a UTM tracking code. So all the tracked stuff, all the partner stuff, you deduct everything. You're left with, I would say, direct natural search traffic. And we've got a six month average. We know what the six months average is. So we also know what that naturally already occurs. And then there's this little, little peak in that five minutes. It's it's very noticeable, those peaks. Yeah. So yes, can I know exactly who everybody is in that five wow. minutes? Not always. Like it's, you know, you've got a baseline traffic, but at least you've got an idea who might have downloaded the app or went at. So we then give it um, a, a TV tick box. So from that moment onwards in our model, we can know, okay, that's there's probably probably a TV customer. Now the agency runs the same model and they will then model it. They don't need to know who it actually is, but they will tell us you spent X amount of money. We, we estimate you got X amount of customers out of it. And that's your, that's your cost acquisition cost on signups. And then in my model, I can then say, actually, um, I'm also looking at that, but also want to know who it is. So wait, what's the average age? How much bench, how many pensions do they transfer? And that helps us to understand if it's a good channel to invest more in, yes or no. The other thing that's really helpful, rather than just optimizing on the customer and the acquisition cost and the, and the quality of the customer, understanding how big are those peaks on channel four versus ITV3 or Dave or Quest Plus One or, you know, there are more than 400 TV channels in the UK and you sometimes can advertise on TV for like 15 pounds for a 30 second spot at like 11, 11.30 p.m. in the evening on some sort of channel where hardly anybody watches to. It doesn't matter. So uh, it's a really interesting way to test the channels, the time slots, but also the creatives. At one point, we had seven different TV ads and you just basically see which TV ad spikes a much bigger interest than others. And then you can swap them out or you can re replenish them with similar creatives and develop the, the narrative, the message, the proposition there. And it's it's been a test and learn channel for us. But yeah, we started really small and it's now one of our biggest channels we use. It's it, TV works absolutely wonders. That's really interesting. I really like your, your approach and I really like your testing approach. I think that's so important and nice. So my, my second point is Instagram. You've mentioned that Instagram is a great acquisition channel. And I was surprised to hear this because I thought Instagram, I mean, in my test, it's always been the lowest performer because you can't really add links unless you reach, I don't know, a certain amount of followers, right? So how did you approach Instagram and why was it such a successful 
Instagram uh-huh. ads. With Instagram ads, uh-huh. you can. Uh, it's, of course, all done on the Facebook ad platform. Um, I would say yes. Facebook and Instagram were our biggest channels for a long time when we started Pension B. They're certainly not our biggest channels anymore. So that's definitely changed with the, I would say, more brand-related channels. What's interesting about what, why did this work really well for us? Well, and especially, I don't think a lot of people still know, but I think especially a couple of years ago, it was really, really uh, unknown that you could actually consolidate your pensions very easily. So a lot of people would say, including myself, when I was hired at Pension B, I said to the co-founders, I didn't know you could actually do this. <laughs> and you, and my customers, the customers probably had the same thoughts. So we were surprised, we were delighting them with, did you know you could actually do this? On their commute, this was all before COVID, on their yeah. commute, on the train, when they're scrolling through their feeds. And therefore, our big, our most busiest times of the day were morning and evening commutes. And then you had a dip after the evening commute because you've got to eat or if you've got children, they have to go to bed. And then suddenly we had another spike later on in the evening. Uh, during the day, it was quite quiet because this wasn't people searching for this. This was delighting people with a solution that they didn't know they can actually do it. So. I think that's why it worked really well uh, at the start. But then later on, I think a lot of people started to understand you can actually do this. So that so we saw natural search, search traffic, et cetera, more intent traffic really went up. And therefore things like paid search, Bing, natural search, all of these things started to play a bigger role. That's when we started to add more content to our website, expand it with the blog and our Pension Explained Center. But at the early starts, it was all about, gosh, didn't know you can actually do this. And then channels like Facebook and uh, Instagram work really well. I think the um, that's maybe also why sometimes I buy stuff off Instagram or Facebook that I have never searched for before. And I see it, I'm like, well, that's an interesting product. Let's just buy it. So maybe nice. it's, the, it's, it's the kind of thing, it's, it's the kind of uh, state where the consumer, your customer is in, if the channel works yes or no. And the only way to figure out is test and learn. This awareness, consideration, decision in action. You, it sounds like Pension B influenced a lot this educational part or this awareness part of pension consolidation. Then you shifted towards more middle of the funnel. Mm. That's a big achievement. I think a lot of people knew you could do this, but they were Hargreaves Fidelity customers, people who are actively mm. interested in financial products, etc. But the big group we talked about, that's the 90% or the 80%, they didn't know. I remember I didn't know when I moved to pension. I didn't even know a pension costs money. I thought my boss was paying paying for all of that stuff. And I ended up actually, you know, my Scottish widow's pension I've had with my previous job. It's actually quite expensive. And then it was moved to a yeah. in general. And then the fee with that. I had no idea that, that there was a fee yeah. even involved. So it's all about knowing that you can actually do this and empower people. And uh, I think that was key at the early days of pension B. And then channels like Facebook and Instagram can really help. And also it doesn't have to be expensive. The first ad yeah. we created on yeah. Instagram and Facebook was my my colleague Tess, who is now our chief operating officer. Like we were both also early. She was even high before me, like really early days. And I, she was making a contribution on the on her phone, pension contribution on her phone in the coffee shop at the uh, on the ground floor above our of, uh, below our offices. And I just showed it on my iPhone, and we used that in our, our first ads to see if it actually got any traction. Like if you ain't got any money. To to spend then uh, uh, on that stuff. You start really, it can be rough around the edges and then it worked and then it became a bit more polished. Very nice. This is a really, really interesting conversation. 
I have one last question for you, uh, Jasper. You've mentioned before in a couple of interviews that you really like Agile. And really this conversation you've been saying, you've been talking a lot about Agile just right now, Instagram ads, the way that you're, you're marketing. And you also said that you prefer working with Agile agencies, right? Because some agencies for some reason are weirdly corporate. And there's obviously a big part of Agile is digital transformation, right? Embracing digital. So what is one thing you think that, what is like an uncomfortable truth about uh, becoming agile? What is something, because I think a lot of people realize they need to be agile, but there's something that's stopping them because there's something uncomfortable they need to realize, they need to understand. What do you think that is? I know it's a really loaded question, but just curious Um, to hear your thoughts. Wow. Um, I think the, the, so some downfalls, I guess, of agile sometimes get associated with doing something really quickly and dirty. So you end up with doing stuff really quick, uh, all your stuff really quickly and dirty. But agile and being quickly and dirty are not the same. As uh, And being agile is making sure you can change, rapidly change and develop depending on where your product is beheading. And especially when you are building a product from scratch, it's really, in, really important to be agile. So to give you an example, we've uh, when you were signed up to PensionB from the start, we, it was a completely different product than what it is today. Completely different. Like it's not just a bit different, it's completely different, but it was changing and therefore we had to adapt. But then did we do it quick and dirty? Maybe you are doing quick, quick iterations to really see if that makes an impact. But if you then do see it makes an impact, you then actually will make sure it's not a quick and dirty solution. It's something you do in, uh, properly, but you've tested the waters and you keep your eye on things and change direction if necessary. I think one of the things that we've noticed is that we had to rebuild our pension administration system at one point. And that took us quite a long time, but it was based on uh, a, a quick, quick, swift decision making and changes, tested it, worked really well. And then we started to build out in iterations, like on story, story, but story per story, we started to migrate stuff back into it. We've now got a really good pension administration system. So I think the downfall can be is that you end up just doing stuff quick and dirty because you think that agile and quick and dirty are the same. So I guess that's something to try to avoid. <laughs> no, that makes complete sense. Agile does not equal quick and dirty. Very good. No, and 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 be um, and be agile. To give you another example, last year when the pandemic hit, and that's from a marketing perspective, I had planned an outdoor campaign in April. Well, guess where we all were in April? Inside. So we weren't on the streets, yeah. but we were at home on our phones, and that's where we followed our customer. And we were able to cancel the outdoor campaign without any incurring any cost. And because that's the way we negotiated the, the contract with the outdoor providers and moved all of that spent to t- t- TV, boosted some of our radio um, and a lot of mobile app install campaigns. And therefore, we, we were still, last year, we grew by 88%, but not by the use of massive outdoor campaigns. When people actually eventually got back on the streets, remember those summers, help out to eat out, remember those good old days, <laughs> yeah. um, then suddenly you would see our pension confident uh, posters campaigns on rail and street. Because, and then after that, people were starting to get back into their homes and then we moved money away. So every month we calib- recalibrate our channel mix. And I think that's how you should be, ought to be spending your money. As soon as uh, again, a lot of people think that's very costly. I can only honestly tell you, it actually will save you a lot of money, yeah. because when nobody was on TV, 
like retailers and travel agents weren't on TV advertising because they were closed. So I jumped into that and got uh, nice. uh, some good good discounts with networks uh, to fill those gaps. So I guess people think it's expensive. Actually, it can be quite cheap. That's a very good answer. Well, this has been a really interesting conversation. Thank you so much, Jasper, for coming on the podcast. No worries. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can find all the information and show notes over at fintechmarketinghub.com. If you'd like to come on the podcast or just share some feedback, don't hesitate to get in touch with us. We're always looking for ways to improve the podcast. That's all for today. See you next time.